0: Today I want to finish our giving series on the subject of cheerful generosity. Uh, if you're in new version, the notes are there. If you want to turn to your Bibles, uh, 2 Corinthians nine. We're going to stay in 2 Corinthians nine, but I want to show you something today that I think um, will. This is an internal thing. Giving, giving. We tend to view giving as an external. Well, we take our, you know, our credit card or our debit card, or we take cash or we write a check for those of you that still write checks. We do those types of things and we give that way. It's a physical thing that we do, but there's another part of giving that we don't talk too much about. And that is the internal part of giving. And that is where cheerful generosity comes into play. So let's look at Second Corinthians 9. Uh, let's start at verse 6 down through around to verse 11. He says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Today, we're going to look at cheerful generosity. Um, It's interesting. The word cheerful here is, is an interesting word. It is the word, the root of the word cheerful is Hilarious, where we get uh, our word. That's hilarious, uh, and that's what cheerful means here. It's, it's, an, it's a hilarious aspect of giving. A hilarious aspect of who we are. I don't know how many. I don't know. I don't know if I've ever seen someone when they put their money in the offering buckets. Woo hoo! Yeah. I mean, every now and then I heard someone go "hooah" earlier. You know, and I've been in churches where they when we we're going to take up the offering now, and everybody goes. Ah. You know, kind of polite. But what about the hilarious part of giving? What about the part of giving that is cheerful in nature where we have the attitude I can't wait to do this. I can't wait to do that. I can't wait to take part in this. And, and I get it. I, I get it. As I said in the, in the opening days of this series weeks ago, that, that giving has taken such a bad rap because of the abuses and the excesses and the extremes that we see uh, in high profile ministries and and ministers across the country and around the world. I get it, but that doesn't negate the reality that God in his word is talking to us about giving in a way that is cheerful and generous combined. That we still have a responsibility, if you will, as followers of Jesus Christ, as disciples of Jesus, to make the decision not to give under compulsion, you know, but under, and not reluctantly, like, oh, it's time to take, remember their commercial, I gotta make the donuts, you know? you know, Same kind of, oh, I gotta give in the offering. I gotta, I gotta give some money. I gotta give some money. You know what? You may as well just hang on to it if you come into it with, with a reluctant, begrudgingly atti- begrudging attitude. Because it's about the heart and it's about the spirit that's driving our gift. I mean, how many times do you go into Christmas and go, I gotta buy my kids a Christmas present? I got to get my husband something for Christmas. I got to buy my wife something for Christmas. I don't know what she wants. I don't know. what. Look, look, I love Christmas. I love every aspect of Christmas except putting lights on the house. I don't like that so much. I don't like that so much. But I do it. You know why I do that? Because my wife loves lights on the house. And I love my wife. So I put lights on the house. Even up there in the woods, nobody sees them. Nobody sees them. I mean, we're out in the boondocks. We're, in the, we're, the, we're the, the, the town square of the boondocks. Nobody sees our lights, but every night, lights come on. Kim comes home from work. She goes, oh, the lights. And I'm going, yes, thank you, baby. I did that. I did that. But when it comes to Christmas, I love Christmas. I love buying my kids presents. I love buying my wife presents. I love I I giving stuff. I just love Christmas. I don't like Christmas music so much, you know? It's, I mean, there's like, ha- no, no, there's not a lot of new stuff being written anymore. And so after about 20 minutes, you've heard all the Christmas songs, you kind of go, okay, let's just listen to something else. You know? But Christmas is just my favorite. It has always been that way. When I was a little kid, I was the first guy, I was the first one up in the house. Way before daylight, getting up, you know? Knocking on my parents' door. Hey, can we go open the press? Can we go get, go to bed? It's four o'clock. You know? And even, even now, I'm, I'm 60 years old. I'm the first guy up in the house on Christmas because I love Christmas. I love Christmas because it's a time of giving. It's a time of giving. It's a time when I can, I can do something specific and special for the people that I love dearly. There's an attitude surrounding that. Cheerful generosity is basically this, I think, and this is just a philism, okay? I believe cheerful generosity is the spirit of Christmas every day. It's that attitude of giving. It's that attitude of doing what I can do to help people, doing what I can do to advance the kingdom, doing what I can do to honor God with what he's given to me. That's, that's what it's all about. It's a hilarious. It's not, hilarious means uh, noticeably happy and optimistic. Cheer, generous means showing readiness to give more of something, whether it's money or time, more of something that is strictly than is strictly necessary or expected. Basically, generosity is above and beyond what's expected. Generosity is the quality of being kind and generous. So basically, if we're going to be cheerful, cheerfully generous, then we're going to be noticeably happy and optimistic with a readiness to give more of something that is necessary or expected and it's a quality of our life it's an attitude of our heart it's something that's inside here that says i am going to respond to the lavishness that god has given me the lavish grace that god has bestowed on me i'm going to respond to that in my giving of my finances of my time of the talent that i have to do things Look at some examples from scripture with me this morning. The first example is in the early church, Acts 2. Acts 2, uh, if you look at 42 to 47, talk about how they devoted themselves to all these things. But verse 42, 43 says this. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And I was looking it up in the various translations and I found this translation that says this. It's actually an older version of the NIV. And it says this and no one had need of anything. A characteristic of the New Testament church in the book of Acts, the church in Jerusalem, just been formed just maybe a decade or two, maybe three decades after after the death of Jesus is when all this is coming about. And they had had developed this attitude. They developed this core value, this quality that no one in that church had any, they didn't have needs. Why? Because they were so ready to meet it. And the moment a need popped up, it was met. Even to the point of extreme, where they would sell property. Somebody had a huge need, they would sell property and disperse it so that the needs could be met. That's a huge thing. Now we, we look at our government and we've got all these social programs and we've got all this, all this kind of stuff where you can have all this kind of help. But I want you to see something from the scripture today. And that is that the original welfare system was the church. It was the church. The original way that people had their needs met happened in community, through the church, and the early church... They would would meet needs so quickly and so readily that actually they would say, no one had need of anything. That's how quick it would happen. We've talked about the Macedonians in here during this series, so let's look at them for just a second this morning. The Macedonians in in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 2, in the midst of very severe trial, the Macedonians are going through this horrible time. But it says, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and extreme poverty. Now that sounds weird, doesn't it? Overflowing joy and extreme poverty. Welled up in rich generosity. Yeah, but they're poor people, they're in poverty. Why? Why is there generosity in poverty? Because let me tell you something. It's usually not people that have a lot that, have diff- that, that, uh, that are ready to give. It's people that have nothing that are more ready to give many times. What did we see last week in the, in the widow that comes to the temple and she gives two coins? While all the wealthy people are giving basketfuls of things. But Jesus looked and he commends her. Why? Because she gave all that she had. She gave sacrificially. These people gave out of their their influence. I'm not saying that if you have wealth that you're not a generous person. I'm just saying that it's very difficult sometimes. If you have a lot of means. To just give it away. Jesus talks about that. He talked about that with the the young man that we talked about last week. And if we'd have read on down. he He said something like this. He said you know. It's more. It's easier. For a camel to go through the eye of a needle and a rich person to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because it's a lordship issue. It's an issue of the heart. It's an issue of the heart. Verse three. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability entirely on their own. There, there it goes back to giving, deciding your heart, not under compulsion, not reluctantly, but decide. Decide what you're gonna give. You decide that. I'm not deciding that for you. I'm not standing up here telling you if you give, me a, give, give the church $1,000 that God's going to give you $10,000 or $100,000. But yet there are people that do that. I'm not telling you that. I'm telling you, you decide in your heart what gen- cheerful generosity looks like for you. And then do that. Do that. For some of you, you can do a lot. Some of you, maybe not so much. But if you come at it with a generous heart, when you come at it with cheerfulness and generosity, then God looks at that and says, I'm honoring that because of the spirit in which they're giving. Mary, John chapter 12, we have this lady, you know, Jesus, Mary Martha's there at their house, Lazarus, all this kind of stuff. And Mary's there. And at some point in the evening, she takes and goes back to the back of the house. She comes out with a jar of pure nard, which is a, a very expensive perfume, it was not unusual it 's interesting. I was reading this with it culturally this week. It was not unusual for single women back in, in biblical days to have expensive jars of perfume. It was almost like it was, uh, it was an insurance policy or a retirement for them because it was worth a year or two of wages, and they would save up and save up, and they would have this stuff. But she goes back in the back of the house. She comes out and she pours it all over the feet of Jesus. I mean, if you're going to do expensive perfume, I'm put a little bit behind your ear, maybe a little bit on your wrist. You know? No. I mean, do you get up in the morning, ladies, gentlemen? Do you get when guys when you put on your cologne, ladies when you put on your perfume? Do you take your shoes off and go? Shh. No. I mean. You might put some powder in your shoes or use odor eaters or something, but you don't spray perfume on your feet. But yet she comes out and she washes his feet. She pours it all over his feet. What what an extravagant, cheerful, generosity type of giving that we see in the life of Mary. So where does this type of generosity come from? Where where where, Where do you see... A church that comes together and makes sure that no one that's a part of that community of faith has anything, has a need. What happens with, with people that are unbelievably impoverished that go above and beyond what is expected of them and even beyond, because no one expected them to do it, but yet they go so far above it, even in their poverty. What happens to, a, what's going on in the heart of a woman that comes out and pours her retirement on the feet of another individual? Where does that type of generosity come from? Where does that type of giving come from? Well, a cheerful, generous spirit comes from an intimate knowledge of a single passage of scripture. Oh, now Phil, you've always told us that you can't build doctrine around one single, I'm not building a doctrine, I'm just simply saying, if you wanna know where that type of cheerful generosity comes from, you have an intimate knowledge of this passage. It's in the book of John chapter three, Jesus was having a conversation with a Pharisee. Now this Pharisee is a very special type of Pharisee. This Pharisee actually believes in Jesus, but he's not ready to come out publicly with it because the other Pharisees were going to kill him. He knew they didn't like Jesus. He knew they were plotting his death, but yet he comes to Jesus in the night. His name's Nicodemus. He comes to Jesus in the night and he's having this conversation and Jesus starts telling him, you must be born again. And it confuses the guy. He goes, What do you mean? I meant born? I can't enter into my mother's womb a second time. And Jesus said, Unless you're born of water and of spirit, you have no part in me. And so Jesus goes into this conversation with this Pharisee who's a closet follower of Christ about how to become a follower of Jesus. You have to be born again. And he gets down, he talks through, all, talks through all the nuances of it and then all of a sudden right there is a verse that just jumps off the table and Jesus says something very important. In verse 16, he says, for God so loved the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. In this moment, we get... The example of cheerful generosity from one passage of Scripture. God loved and God gave. God loved and because He loved, He gave. God is first and foremost the most gracious giver of all. You said, but God, He he owns all everything. Yes, He does, all that kind of stuff. But I want you to understand something this morning God gave more than the widow who gave all she had. God gave his only son. God loved you and God loved me so much that he said, I am going to give the most prized possession that I have, the most important thing in my life. I am going to give you my son. That he's going to go to a cross, he's going to die for you, he's going to shed his blood for you, and his blood is going to wash away every stain of every sin that you've ever committed. The sin of your past, the sin of your present, and the sin of your future. My grace for you is coming through my son. And I am giving that to you because I love you. Now listen to me. There is a moment when Jesus is dying for you and I, That Jesus takes something on himself that none of us would be willing to take. And that is the sins of humanity. And in that moment, it wasn't a long period of time. God didn't turn his back on Jesus the whole time he was on the cross. There was a moment there that God did turn his back on his son on the cross. Do you know why? That God forsook his son so that you and I would never have to be forsaken. We would never have to have that God turn his back on us. God is always watching us. God is always looking for us. God is always providing for you and I because he loves you and he loves me. But Jesus willingly died. Willingly went to the cross knowing that there was gonna be a moment when the sin of the world is placed on his shoulders that the father couldn't look. But he did it anyway. For God so loved that he gave his one and only son. God does not ask anything of you and me that he has not first done for us. He doesn't ask anything of you and I that he has not already first done for us. And here's a thought. You can write this down if you want to because this is important. We are most like God When we give, he ain't talking about finances. Yes, he is. He's talking about giving everything. If he is the Lord of your life, then that means all of your time, all of your talent, and all of your treasure, first and foremost, comes from him, but also belongs to him. And you and I are most like God when we take what we've been given. And we give it with cheerful generosity. It's an attitude. It's a spirit. There's something inside of us that says, I gotta give. I gotta give. Cheerful generosity is both birth out of love and not duty. I told you last week, giving is not about and it's not an obedience issue. It's not an obedience issue. It's a heart issue, it's a lordship issue. If you love somebody, you find yourself wanting to give to that person. If you love somebody, then you're wanting to give. That's how it works. That's how it works. That's how it comes about in our life. If you love somebody, you want to give to them. Matter of fact, we get the example in the the book of Ephesians where God through through the writer, Jesus, through Paul, he says, husband, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. And what did he do? And gave himself. Giving is a part of loving. It's a part of loving. If you love your husband, if you love your wife, if you love your children, guess what? You have a giving attitude and a giving heart toward them. If you love your friends, you have a giving attitude and a giving heart. If you love God, you should have a loving and giving heart. You should have this cheerful generosity inside of you. Why? Because that's the spirit of Jesus. That's the spirit of the Father. That's the Holy Spirit that's living inside of you and me. You know what happens a lot of times in marriages as we've been married for a long time? We stop giving. And I don't have to do as much for Christmas this year. We've been married for 40 years. And She knows I love her. So I'll get her a gift card. Listen, guys, go not this way. Go not this way. Listen, I'm telling you, I've been married 40 years. Go not that way. <laughs> why, do we, why do we grow to a point in our marriages, in our relationships where we stop giving to one another? Why would we think that as a follower of Jesus Christ, that it's okay to not give of our time, talent, and treasure? I mean, you know, we, we say here, we want to know God. We want to live connected. We want to make a difference. Well, if you know God, if you want to know God, guess what? Then you're going to love God. As a matter of fact, the greatest commandment that, we were, that we've been given is Mark 12, 30. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. All, 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 all. So I want to ask you this morning. And this isn't the closing, I still got a few more minutes. But I wanna ask you today, how is your love? How's your love for God? Is it seen in a generous spirit? Is it seen in your giving? Is he the Lord of your time? Is he the Lord of your talent? Is he the Lord of your treasure? Can Can people see your love of God in your cheerful generosity? because that really is the litmus test. That really is a litmus test. A lot of people come to church every Sunday, not just here, but everywhere. I don't know who gives what here, okay? I, don't, I have no idea. The only time I have any idea what anybody gives is when we're, when we're putting the board of directors in place because there's people that manage finances and determine budgets for this church. If you're not giving, then you don't have a say but I just want you to understand something this morning. I don't know who what you give. There's only been one other time in, in years and years of being the pastor here that I've asked for somebody's contribution report. And it was a person about 10 years ago that they were so negative and they were complaining about every single solitary thing and, and gossiping and discord. And they came in to see me and they were just tearing into me. And I finally just stopped. I said, hold on, hold on a minute. I called my bookkeeper and I said, bring me the, you bring me the contribution report on Mrs. So and so. Looked at me. She said, What are you doing that for? I said, Because before we go any further, I want to know what you're doing financially at Gen U. What well, does that have to do with anything? It has to do with everything. Because I'm going to tell you something, guys. If you're not giving of your time and your talent and your treasure, now look, I love you. You know that, right? Yes. This is always a scary thing because you know when someone says, You know I love you, but they're going to open you up like a Christmas turkey. But listen to me. In the kingdom at Gen U, if you're not giving of you your time, your time, your treasure, you got no business complaining about anything. Amen. So just hush. Amen. Start giving and then we'll talk. Start serving and then we'll talk. You can enjoy the benefits of this place and this is a great place. This is the greatest church on the planet. I'm gonna tell you straight up. Amen. The greatest church on the planet. You're the greatest congregation that there ever has been. And I love you. I love you. But I'm telling you that if we don't develop cheerful generosity in our spirit, then we're not emulating God. We're not we're not close to God in our lives. Cheerful generosity comes down to three things and I am closing with this. The first is this. It's it's priorities really is what it is. Okay, there's three of them. First one, respond to need, not to pressure. Respond to need, not to pressure. What did we read earlier? Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give not reluctantly or under compulsion because God loves a cheerful giver. The second priority is this. Have an open heart and an open hand. An open heart and an open hand. Chapter 8, verse 11, 2 Corinthians. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what you have, not according to what one does not have. Have an open heart and an open hand. Don't hold on tight to the bank account. Don't hold on tight to your time. Don't hold on tight to to your talent. Open your hand. Give, give, give cheerfully, give generously, give with an attitude of gratitude that says, God, you have forgiven me and I am choosing to give in response to that grace. The last thing, be a river, not a reservoir. Be a river, not a reservoir. Been to to Israel three times. We always go to the Dead Sea. When I say, how many of you have been to the Dead Sea? Anybody? Look it up. Google it. Look it up. It's a nasty, stinking area. It's in the middle literally of nothing. But the problem is that everything flows into the Dead Sea, but there's no outlet. And because there's no outlet, it's stagnant and it dies. Every time we go there, we stop there for a little bit and people don't want to get into it. They can't. I'm not getting in that stinking nasty water. I let people, they go down, they wallow in the mud. I mean, literally, I mean, people from every nationality on the planet, they're all down there wallowing around in the Dead Sea mud. You can buy it. You can buy bags of it. Supposed to have all kind of good stuff in it. And it's mud. It's mud. My daddy and mama grows me that when you get mud on you, you wash it off. You don't water in it. But they did. But the problem with the Dead Sea is not what comes in. is that there's no outlet. A reservoir holds something. A river is running and it's flowing. Have you ever wondered why Jesus said... Out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water, not a reservoir of living water. Because it's replenishing. It's replenishing. It's free flowing. It's pure. It does the things that it needs to do. Be a river, not a reservoir. Because here's what he says. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge your harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Acts twenty thirty it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Cheerful generosity is a defining characteristic in your journey to follow Jesus Christ. And with that, I'm done. Let's stand. Mm. What are you going to do with this? You say, well, Phil, you said you weren't going to leverage us, but you really leveraged us today. Okay. At the end of the day, you have to decide. At the end of the day, you have to decide. You decide in your heart what cheerful generosity looks like in your life. But I'm telling you, it's an internal thing. It's something that goes on inside of a follower of Jesus Christ. It says, for God so loved me that he gave his son. And because I love God, I will give of my time, my talent, and treasure. And I will do it in a hilarious fashion. With cheerfulness and with generosity. Amen. Bow your heads with me for just a second. I know this is a giving message, but I hit hard. In the middle of this teaching today on God's love for you. And I just wonder if there's anybody in the house this morning that you may be here going, you know what, I didn't really realize that God loved me so much that He gave His Son. But I've heard this today and something's jumped in my heart and in my spirit, and I wanna respond to that love by giving Him my life this morning and making Jesus the Lord of my life. If that's you, could you raise your hand? Just raise it and put it right back down. Anybody? Yes, 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 put them right back down. Anybody else? Hands have gone up all over this house this morning. I want to make Jesus Lord of my life today. I want to respond to God's love by first and foremost giving him my life and making him my Lord. Anybody else in the house? Okay, everybody look up here at me. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. It's a simple thing. It's a simple thing. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in your heart that God raised him from dead and you shall be, it's that simple. Do I have to say anything? No. You believe. You believe. In a few weeks, maybe maybe we'll try to do it before Christmas, we can get it in. We'll do a water baptism on a Sunday morning here when you can make your public profession of your faith. But getting to know Jesus is not about saying some formatted prayer. If you wanna do that, we can do that. But it's simply this, Jesus, I believe in you. Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. Jesus, I believe that God raised you from the dead. And I want you to be my Lord. That's a belief system. That's how you become a follower of Jesus Christ. And then you move from there, from that belief to following his commands and following his teachings and getting to know the word and getting to know him. But for the sake of those in here that might be traditional and feel like, we got to say a prayer. Let's say a prayer. All right? Dear Lord Jesus, come into my life. I want you to be my Lord. I believe you're the son of God, that God raised you from the dead. I give you my life. And I love you, Jesus. Amen. That's it. That's it. Hands went up all over this house. If you believe that today, guess what? You are now a child of God. And I'll tell you something else. Yeah, come on. Join the angels in heaven this morning. Join the angels in heaven this morning. All right, let's take our elements. Your first act as a believer this morning, your first act as a Christ follower is to come to the Lord's table. Let's take the bread and lift it up. Jesus today we take a moment in this service and we honor the sacrifice that you made the stripes on your back the beating that you took for our healing we thank you that in the atonement is our healing of our diseases and we take this today with gratitude and thankfulness for what you did for us shall we eat together Take the cup, let's lift it. Jesus, you willingly laid down your life and you shed your blood so that our sins could be forgiven. And today we say thank you that we are redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Shall we drink together? let's say the Lord's prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.